Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Psalm 27. That's where we are today. Psalm 27. Talking today about how to handle fear. Here's the key concept for this morning. Courage is fear that has said its prayers. General George Patton said those words, and it's still true. Fear that has said its prayers. I wonder if you are afraid. I'm telling you, if you're not a little bit afraid, you're not paying attention. Here's the news, newscast that I watched just this past week. It was the reports of violence, war, famine, drought, flood, crime, fire, and kidnapping. It was all in a half an hour newscast. That's going to make you a little afraid. You turn on the TV, it's like we're in a horror movie here. And now they tell us 87,000 new IRS agents are going to be released. Now, I, I think I did my taxes right, but boy, I'm a little afraid. Fear is real. Fear narrows your world. It closes the world in on you. I read about a study done by Roger Hart. It was done way back in 1975. He analyzed a small town in Vermont, and what he was looking at was 86 children between ages 3 and 12. And he was studying how far the parents of those kids allowed the kids to roam as they played with one another. And what he found back in 1975 was that the children had remarkable freedom in terms of where they could go and play. In fact, he called them free-range children. I mean, these children, about the time they were 10 years old, could go just about anywhere in that town on their own to play. Now, just recently, he went back to that same town, and he looked at the same age range, and what he found was a totally different environment. The kids from 3 to 12 years old in that town in Vermont now have no freedom of movement. They are expected to play either in their house or in their backyard. And now maybe you say to yourself, well, of course, you know, crime is increasing and all this. The thing of it is, the, the statistics, the crime statistics in that city or town, I should say, in Vermont are just about the same now as they were back in 1975. What has happened, though, is this fear factor, this sense of being afraid because of everything we hear about and all that's going on. And it shows our, itself in all kinds of different ways. Frustration over not being able to control our circumstances, tears or anger. I mean, don't raise your hand, but maybe, maybe you're afraid to, to go downtown after dark. Or maybe how many of us lock our car doors when we stop at a red light in the city. Years ago now, when we first came to, to Stockton, we, were, we first moved into our home. I had a guy uh, come to my front door, and he was selling home security systems. And the first thing he asked me was, do you have a home security system? What do you think I thought? I was like, is this guy just checking me out to see if he's going to come back later and rob me? I mean, I'm not, I wasn't quite ready to answer that question because we're afraid. But David in Psalm 27 tells us what we can do when we are afraid. And doing the right thing when we are afraid can give us a supernaturally positive look on life. We're in a series of messages where I said, we're, I'm imagining in my mind, if David had Twitter, what would David tweet? And I think Psalm 27 verse 1 is what David would tweet. It says this, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now, David is not saying that fear never grips the heart of those who follow God, but in the course of this psalm, he models for us what we should do when we fear. And the model is a mixture of making the right declarations and praying the right prayers. And I want to look at that second part first, okay, because he has two preeminent prayer requests over the course of Psalm 27. The first one is in the middle of the psalm, verse 7. He says this, Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. When we are afraid, we want to be noticed. When we are afraid, we want somebody nearby that we can call out to who, who will hear us and help us. Nobody wants to be alone when they're afraid. I read a story about a summer evening where there was a violent thunderstorm that was happening. And a little, it was bedtime, and a little boy was getting tucked into his bed at night, but, but as his mom was tucking him into bed, the thunder was crashing outside, and the lightning was flashing, and it was, you know, one of those nights. And as she went to turn the, the light off in his room, a voice came, a little boy with a tremoring voice said, Mom, can I sleep with you tonight? Mom hesitated for a moment, went over and gave him a reassuring hug and said, no, honey, I have to sleep with Daddy. And he paused. He said, the big sissy. <laughs> Nobody wants to be alone when you're afraid, right? We want somebody nearby who will hear us and help us. And look at verse 10. He says, though my, my, uh, my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. He's saying, the people who ought to be closest to me, the people who ought to always hear me, they're not, uh, you know, uh, helping me out here, but I know I can trust in the Lord. You see, David was probably lonely at times. You've heard it said it's lonely at the top, and it doesn't get any tippy-topper than the king. So there were things that he couldn't tell anybody. There were things that he, he had to watch, all his acquaintances and all of his words. He had to be careful. And loneliness breeds fear. And in fear, when we're lonely, it just amplifies the fear and the hurts and the pains. So David cries out, Lord, I need you to hear me. I don't want to be all alone here in the midst of my fear. But even though he prays that prayer, I'm sure he knows what we must know, and that is we're really never alone. God is always watching. He's always listening to our prayers. But we want that reassurance, so David pray, prays, hear me. And then in verse 11, he prays, teach me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. That's a cry for assistance. You know, I'm afraid of the future, and really what I'm afraid of is I can't make the right decisions now that is going to help me in the future. I need to be taught the way to go. I need to be taught the safe way because there are foes out there. There are false witnesses out there. There are people who would want to influence me in the wrong direction and head me down the wrong path. And I am afraid that left to myself, I'm going to make the wrong choices. So teach me your way. That's his prayer. And David is wise to fear oppressors and enemies. And so are you. The enemies and the oppressors are selling us false ideas 
intoxicating philosophies. They sell us uh, the idea that uh, a lifestyle of selfishness, a lifestyle of power and pleasure, that's to be valued above all else. The oppressors would substitute affluence for godliness and called it gain. Above all, they say, go your own way, make your own reality without a sense that there is a providential controlling God above all, who created all, who owns all. We are told all around us by many means that we are the measure of all things, that somehow based on our own gut instinct and our personal preference, you can make life work for you. You can leave God out. These advisors are actually oppressors. They will hurt you. David says, you know, there's so much I don't know. I need to be taught. There's so much I can do that's going to be wrong. I can go astray so easily. I'm all too susceptible. And there is so much I fear. So teach me your way, Lord, because your way is going to be the best way. That's what I need. These are David's prayer requests in the midst of fear. But also, when he, fear, he, he uh, feels fear coming on, he makes some fear-dispelling declarations. He makes them right in the beginning of the psalm. Here's what I do with fear. I don't deny it. I don't push it under the rug. But I know where I can turn when I fear. I call out to the Lord and I say what I know to be true about God. I declare what I know to be true about God. And that dispels my fear. And what do I know to be true? He says, first, the Lord is my light. The Lord is my light. I wonder if you've ever been afraid of the dark. Or maybe you're afraid of the dark now. Being afraid of the dark is one of the most basic human fears. Are we afraid of the dark? Yes. But we're more afraid of what might be in the dark, right? I'm afraid of what's there. I went through a period of my own life when I was afraid of the dark as a young boy. We lived in a big house, uh, an old house in New Jersey where I grew up. That house was built in 1926. It had big rooms. And I had a room all to myself. And uh, in that room I had my, a big double bed. But there was a problem with that room. And that was the light switch was by the door and my bed was on the other side of the room. So every night there, were, there was a situation where I, what I really needed to figure out how to do was to turn off that light and get into my bed under the covers faster than the speed of light. And this is what I attempted night after night. I still rem remember the acrobatic stunts of hitting the light, jumping into bed, getting in the middle with the covers. Why? Nothing hanging over so whatever's under the bed doesn't get you, right? Right? Those are childish fears. And light dispels those fears. And David says, the Lord is my light. He doesn't say the Lord sheds light. Notice that? He is light, the essence of who he is. He is that powerful force that dispels darkness. Light does not negotiate with darkness. Light takes no prisoners. It does not peacefully coexist with darkness. When you turn on the light, the darkness is eradicated. That's what the Lord is to me, David is saying. I turn on that switch and light is, is everywhere unless I block it with a shade. I can block the light through my own disobedience, in my own rebellion. 
I can block the light, put up a shade if I think that it's really all about my pride, not about the Lord's will. I can block the light. But David is saying, I know that the Lord is ready to be that light, to dispel that darkness. And he's urging us in this language, make sure you get rid of those shades that block the light. Let him shine. It dispels fear. Secondly, he says, the Lord is my salvation. I was once uh, chatting with a woman about spiritual things. She was new to the church. She really hadn't really been to church much at all. She never went to church growing up. Her parents didn't think that was important. And, and she was just kind of, sort of interested about what church was all about. And uh, we chatted. And uh, I, I started talking to her about, you know, what we teach and so forth. And she was wonderfully unaware of Bible terminology and church words, okay? And I talked about being saved. And first thing she said was, from what? I'm thinking, great, great, great question, right? From what? What are we say? We say we're saved, that, that in Jesus we have salvation. Well, what are we saved from when we claim salvation in Jesus Christ? Well, the first thing that comes to mind, right, is we're saved from an eternity in a real place of real suffering called hell. You know, we want to push that out of our mind. We, might, we don't like to dwell on those portions of Scripture that talk about the fact that there is a blessed alternative after this life and there is another alternative which is filled with suffering. But the fact of the matter is when you read the Bible, you know the person who talks mo most about hell? It's Jesus. Jesus talks more about hell than anybody else in all of Scripture. And it's almost as if he's saying, listen, you, you guys might not want to think about this, but this is real. This is possible. But you can be saved from that, forgiven forever for sure. We're saved from that. But in reality, I don't think that when, when David says, the Lord is my salvation here, he's probably not referring to his eternal salvation and glory. What he's really thinking about is a salvation from the midst of his trouble right here, right now. We are saved from operating this life all on our own. We are saved from the need to face the difficulties on our own strength, simply that. We are saved to a better outcome than we could have brought to be. Saved from the results of bad choices made from sinful motives. How many examples of messed up lives due to poor choices do we need to see before we say, I have to be saved from going life on my own or otherwise I'm going to end up like that. And I don't want to end up like that, right? You can be saved from that. Saved from, from the, to see that there's blessing hidden in the recesses even of hardship. To recognize that even if I do make mistakes in life, God is always there and he brings good out of the bad if I will let him. We're saved from the emptiness that comes that we can, uh, from living life with nothing more than ourselves in mind. You know, our deliverer comes to us and he whispers something important into our ears. He says, you can be part of something great. You can be part of a grand adventure. And I call it the faithful life. A life lived not only for yourself, but blessing others. You can have a purpose beyond yourself and it lasts for all eternity. We can be saved to all of that. Why? Because the Lord is our salvation. And then he says, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. A stronghold is a fortress. 
it has walls and protection. And even though there were times when David was fleeing for his life out in the countryside and hiding in caves, still he always knew that there is a fortress around me. It may not be visible, but he is here because my fortress is a person. My fortress is my God. Now, Satan would like you to think that you are vulnerable, exposed, and alone. But that's not true. You have a stronghold and a refuge just like David did. And your stronghold, your refuge is in the arms of your Savior. So David makes these declarations that dispel fear. There's like three strands of the cord that would uh, bind fear. Strand one, God is light. God is salvation. Strand two, three, God is my stronghold. And when we grasp that and we believe that and we declare that over ourselves in light of God, things change inside of us. We have a new courage, a courage that really the world doesn't know about. And it's expressed in David's words, whom then shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? The answer is no one, nothing. When I have a Savior that meets that description, uh, the logical and sensible action to take when, when fear comes is to bring those fears to Him and recognize that He can deal with it. And that, that gives us an optimism that the world doesn't know about, a sense of hope. You say, Pastor, you don't know my life. Well, I don't know your life, but I know my God. And I know that he is able, and I know that he is powerful, and I know this about him, he is in love with you, in love with you. And not only is he in love with you, he is watching, and when he watches your life, he speaks this blessing over your life, and he says this, you are worth dying for, so I'll protect you. Fear comes in all shapes and sizes, all kinds of circumstances, sometimes it's just this sense as I watch the news at night, wow, everything is out of control. And fear wells up inside of me. But in reality, I have to remember, no, it's never out of control. There is a master controller who is over it all. Sometimes fear comes in the sense of not being willing to admit failure, not being willing to seek forgiveness or start over. I was reminded that, of that by a, a story that was in the newspapers actually Years ago, the story was uh, about a woman named Kathleen Webb. Uh, Kathleen Webb told a story of being raped and becoming pregnant during that, uh, because of that rape. And a man was arrested for that rape. He was convicted in a court of law and he was put away in jail. The problem was Kathleen Webb made the whole story up. She made it up to, to cover her pregnancy. And for years, she lived with the realization that there was a man behind bars because she made up the story. But as years passed, you see, that story got kind of like a, a, a dwelling that she lived in, almost like a prison that encased her. And she was afraid to step out of that prison. Even though it bothered her, even though it affected her, she was afraid to, to kind of take back that lie and change the story until one day Kathleen Webb came to Christ as her Savior. And what Christ did in her heart was he softened her heart towards the plight of that man, and Christ gave her a new courage. And, and so she admitted the whole thing. It was in the newspapers, and where I heard the story, where I caught up with it myself, was on the morning news program. She was being interviewed. And the interviewer asked her this, how is it that now, after all these years, you have the courage to come forward with this information? And she said this, there is security in the Lord. 
He is giving me strength. The Lord is my light and my salvation, the stronghold of my life. You see, for some of us, what we're afraid to do is to do the right thing. I mean, living lives, we're caught up in things that we know we ought not to be doing, but by now it's become second nature, and maybe we're afraid of change, but God is saying, no, no, you step into the light. He gives us a new courage to do that. He also gives us a new desire. David shows us that desire. Verse 4, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. I want you to see those words, one thing. When we find out how much God is on our side and wants to work in our lives uh, a way of blessing, we turn into, we we recognize that single-minded devotion to God is wisdom. See, some of us think this, that wisdom is keeping all of our options open all the time. That wisdom is, is never really settling down, never really being solid on any particular thing. I keep all the things open, so I never know where I'm going to go, but this is, this is defined as wisdom. That's not wisdom. Wisdom is being devoted to the Lord as the one thing. That's what David is saying. He's not saying, hey, listen, I want to live the rest of my life in church. He's saying, I want, I want to be at home in the presence of the Lord. I want to feel His presence, know His nearness, and be totally comfortable with that in my life because I know He's on my side. And when I have that, there's one more thing that's brand new. He gives me a new patience. A new patience. Look at the end, verse 14. Wait for the Lord, be strong, Take heart and wait for the Lord. If, you're good, if you would have the courage that God wants to give you, the solution that God wants for you and the insights that He has ready for the issues you face, you realize that you can't demand it on your schedule. God does not work on your schedule. And neither does He work in the ways we anticipate sometimes. But we wait for Him, we wait on Him. In fact, there's a story uh, written by Larry Crabb. He's a psychologist. He wrote a book called The Pressure's Off, and he talks about his own walk with the Lord. As a three-year-old boy, he remembers a time when he was super scared. Uh, He locked himself in the bathroom as a three-year-old boy, and he couldn't get out, and I'm going to let him tell you in his own words. He says this, I'm quoting, I couldn't unlock the door. I tried with every ounce of my three-year-old strength, but I couldn't do it, and I panicked. I thought, I might spend the rest of my life in this bathroom. My parents and likely all the neighbors heard my desperate screams. Dad went and got a ladder and entered through the bathroom window, and with his grown-up strength, he unlocked the door. Thanks, Dad, I said, and I promptly ran out to play. He continues. Now, that's how I thought the Christian life was supposed to work. When I get stuck in a tight place, I should do all I can in my own strength to free myself. And then when I can't do it, if I can't do it, I should pray. And God shows up, and He unlocks the door of the blessing that I desire. Sometimes He does. But now, no longer three years old, approaching 60, I'm realizing that He doesn't always turn the lock right away. Instead, sometimes He sits down on the bathroom floor with me, and He says, come sit sit with me, wait with me, so that I will get to know him better. And that too calms fears. We wait with him, we wait for him, and it calms fears. 
So, what is it that you fear? Sometimes it's hard to put a label on it. But it's important to try. What is it that you fear? Put a label on it so that you can place it before the Lord and recognize that fear is no match for Him. Trust Him and you can find courage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are fearful people in fearful times. But we thank You that no matter what it is that we identify as that which brings us fear, You are greater. We thank You for that, Lord. We trust You in that, Lord. And give us patience. Help us to recognize Your timing is not our timing, but Your timing is always perfect. We trust You for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.